Please be seated. The reading is from John 14, commencing at verse 1. Jesus said, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Then Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing the work. Believe me, when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves, I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father and I will do whatever you ask in my name so the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask for anything in my name and I will do it. This is the Gospel of Christ. Uh, thank you so much, Margaret, and good morning, everybody. Uh, great to see you this morning. Uh, in case you don't know me, my name's Jeff. Uh, we're going to be looking at that passage of Scripture together uh, for the next few minutes. We're actually going to be working through uh, some sections from John 14 and 15 over the next few weeks, just so you know where we're going in terms of our uh, preaching program. Uh, I'll pray for us in a minute. Uh, worth mentioning too, I, I did pop out the back just before. I don't think I heard Tim mention this, that uh, for those that don't know, Jay, our, our vicar, uh, is I think at the moment travelling to Uganda. Uh, not a typical thing for him to do on a Sunday morning, but he's on his way there for a, a meeting of some of the, the global Anglican leaders, the primates, uh, an important meeting for reasons I won't go into now, but many of us know about. Uh, so please do pray for him during the week. Pray for Jamie and the family in his absence uh, I'll lead us in prayer for him now and for us as we look at God's word together. Let's pray. 
Gracious Heavenly Father, we do want to thank you uh, this morning for the opportunity that Jay has to travel to Uganda for that important meeting. We pray for safe travel. We pray that you would keep him healthy and give him energy so that he can engage and make the most of his time away. And we pray that you will sustain Jamie and the family with Jay being away, that everything will go smoothly at home in his absence. And we pray for ourselves this morning, Father, with great thankfulness for the truths that we've just heard read to us from your word. Father, these are words that are precious to us and for many of us well known, and so we thank you for it. Uh, But also mindful, Father, that these words are so well known that we could hear them without really listening. And so we pray, Father, this morning that you would help me to explain it and teach it clearly and help all of us to listen with ears that are open, minds that are ready to understand, hearts that are ready to obey and to be transformed, that we might live for your glory. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'd like you this morning to think with me of the most humble and the most selfless person that you know. And just so this isn't boring and you don't end up thinking of the same person, no one's allowed to think of me. <laughs> that's, that's a joke. People who are new, that's not how I do things. Um, it's probably also best not to think of yourself for this purpose. That would be kind of ironic. Uh, but, but think of someone. Think of someone who you would say is always looking out for the interests of others, always putting others ahead of themselves, always wanting others to benefit rather than themselves to benefit. Now, if you're like me and you've got someone or a general idea of a person in your mind, you're probably thinking, yeah, I've seen some wonderful examples over the years of humility and selflessness. And yet you probably also know that nobody does this perfectly. Most of us are painfully aware for ourselves, and if we're honest, we see it in others from time to time. Selflessness, humility, is not our natural inclination. It's not what always comes out. Often when we're under pressure, the opposite comes out. None of us, if we're honest, truly loves our neighbour as ourselves. But then, of course, if someone says to a Christian person, who is the most selfless, humble person you know, our minds will naturally go in one direction, won't they? They will go to the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And rarely do you see the selflessness and the humility of the Lord Jesus as clearly as you see it in the opening words of this passage. Remember, as we come to John 14, it's it's the night before Jesus will die. There's a long extended section in John's Gospel taking us to the night before Jesus died. Jesus knows that he is about to die a horrible, painful death, bearing the sins of the entire world, of everyone that would ever come to him in trust, bearing the very wrath of God. That's what's going to happen to him the next day. And as that fearful hour approaches, with everybody against him, including his closest friends being about to abandon him, you might say that Jesus has every reason for his heart to be troubled. Yet what does he do in that moment? He looks his friends in the eye and he says to them, do not let your hearts be troubled. In his greatest hour of need, in fact you could say in the greatest hour of need that a human being has ever faced, Jesus is thinking of others. He wants to reassure them. He wants to comfort them. It is a level of selflessness that truly belongs to God alone. And it's crucial to note that 
what he does is not just offer up empty words of comfort. There, there, she'll be right. Jesus comforts them with deep truth. Even if they weren't totally ready to hear it in that moment, he comforts them with deep truth that is going to form a foundation that can sustain them into the future. And because that's how he comforts them, and these words are written down for us, while the same things he said to them can bring the same comfort and assurance to us. These are truths that will strengthen us and comfort us as we listen to Jesus speak today. And it all starts, of course, with a call to trust him. See how it opens there. Verse 1, trust in God, trust also in me. It, It seems like everywhere you turn today, Someone is telling you to trust in yourself. Believe in yourself. I think I can barely get through a TV show without hearing someone say, believe in yourself. Jesus doesn't go there. He says, trust in me. Trust in me because I am infinitely trustworthy. Jesus expects them to have a level of trust in him that is on the same level as their trust in God. And of course, if Jesus was just another human being, just another spiritual leader saying these words, they would be evil. They would be evil words. They would not be words of real comfort. It would be evil. And if they didn't really know him, if they didn't know they had reason to trust him, then they would be just empty words. It would be calling for blind faith. But because they know him and because he is God in the flesh, then the words he offers here, trust in God, trust also in me, is truly the place to start when they're looking for comfort. That's the foundational truth that makes makes sense of everything else that he's going to say to them. Trust me because I am infinitely trustworthy. And so from that foundation, what are the truths, what are the things that he wants them to know in order to be comforted? There's three things we're going to focus on as we work our way through this passage. The first one is, His going is not the end. His going is not the end. Look back with me there. He says, In my Father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you may also be where I am. Uh, Now, I love reading biographies. It's one of my favourite kinds of book to read. And obviously, if you're reading a biography of someone who's died after the book was written, then their death is going to be mentioned in the book, isn't it? Even if it's just a kind of, you know, closing chapter at the very end because maybe nothing much happened between this part of their life and their death. But their death is going to be in there somewhere. But one thing that's obvious about any biography that you would read, death is always the final chapter. Is that fair to say? I mean, there might be something about a person's legacy, but for that person's life themselves, their death is the end. And even more obviously, whatever else a person's death may be, it is never described as the reason for their life. I mean, best case scenario, maybe someone's death could be heroic and meaningful for that kind of reason, but it's never the purpose for their life. And yet that's what Jesus wants them to believe about him. He wants them to believe that his death is not the final chapter. And he wants them to believe 
that his death is not his defeat, but it's the very purpose that he came. It's the very reason for his coming. And he says he's leaving now, he's dying, he's going away from them for a little while, for a purpose. And what a wonderful purpose it is. He says he is going to prepare a place for them in his father's house. That's the reason he's going. And he says one day he'll come back and he'll take them to be in that place that he's prepared for them. But did you notice what Jesus focuses on as he's describing this place? He doesn't describe it as, I will take you to be with me so you can sit in the clouds and play a harp all day. And he doesn't describe it as, I will take you to be in a place where you can party all day, or you can sleep all day, or you can do whatever you want all day. Jesus says the focus is being with him. Did you see that? Verse 3, I will take you to be with me, so that you may also be where I am, in the Father's house, in the very presence of God, with Jesus. Now, as I was preparing this talk today, one of the things I looked up was famous last words. I thought it might make a good introduction because this speech is kind of Jesus' last words to his disciples. I've got to say, I was disappointed. Most of the last words I found were pretty lame, not too many inspiring last words out there, but one did stand out. The last words of an English scientist called Michael Faraday, who died in 1867, The last words of that world-famous scientist were recorded as being this, I shall be with Christ and that is enough. I shall be with Christ and that is enough. That was the Apostle Paul's hope, wasn't it? In Philippians chapter 1, verse 23, Paul said, I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. And I wonder this morning, is that your hope? Is that your hope for the future? Whatever else you think of when you think of eternity, is your heart and mind set on the joy of being with Christ, your Lord and your Saviour and your friend? Is that where your hope is? And does that perspective on eternity, of, of being with Jesus, of knowing that's your real home and that's your eternal destiny, does that perspective shape your life now? You've probably heard it said, there's a saying people sometimes use as a kind of criticism of Christians. They say, some people are too heavenly minded to be of any earthly use. You heard that phrase or something like that? I've got to tell you, I am yet to meet a person that that is true for. In fact, I'm honestly not sure that such a person exists. I think it is much more likely that we are too earthly minded to be of any real earthly use. Don't you think that as you look at yourself and your heart and you see the world around you? Don't you feel that sense of being too caught up in the things of this world rather than remembering that our citizenship is in heaven and that we eagerly await the coming of a saviour from there? Imagine what a difference it would make if we lived with that reality more clearly in our minds, if if we thought of being free of the worldly anxieties that so often weigh us down. It might be fear of other people. It might be fear about financial security. It might be the pursuit of comfort or the pursuit of some amazing experience. Whatever it is, imagine how free we'd be to pursue joyful obedience to the Lord and joy in him and loving service of other people 
if we lived with the thought daily that one day we'll be with Jesus. And that's our home, and that's where it's all going. So that's the first truth that Jesus gives them. His going is not the end, he's going for a purpose, and that purpose is so that he can prepare an eternal home for them in his Father's house with him. The second truth, he is the way. You probably know these words so well, but aren't they wonderful words? comes in response to Thomas's question, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Verse 6, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Uh, a couple of years ago now, I think it was about two years ago, I, I went back to Australia to visit with my dad. Uh, I was told it was probably the last time I would see him. I went to see him in his uh, place where he's in full-time care. Thought it was the last time I was going to see him. Uh, he's still going. He's tough. He's still going. Uh, but this day, I thought I thought this could be it. So I took my Bible in and I said, Dad, could I read you something from the Bible? Is there something in particular you'd like, like me to read you from the Bible? And straight away, he said, John 14. And you can see why, can't you? And when he, when he said that, my heart kind of sang for joy because he wanted to hear these words of comfort as he was facing death. And these are words of such comfort for all of us because one day we will all face death. When you know Jesus, you know the way because he is the way. He didn't teach us about the way. He didn't tell us, here's how you be good enough so you can make your own way. He says, trust in me. I'll bring you to be with me. I am the way. He says, I am the truth. Not just the teacher of the truth, I am the truth. Might bring to mind for us the introduction to John's Gospel, chapter 1, where John describes Jesus as coming from the Father full of grace and truth. And he is the life. He's not just someone who shows us how to live a better life. He is life. He is the life that we need. Now, those are all the positive statements and they're beautiful, but Jesus clarifies it by drilling down with the negative side of the coin. No one comes to the Father except through me. And it's, it's often the negative statements in life that really help us to clarify, aren't they? Uh, let's say you were going on a trip to Australia, I'm from Sydney, and so you said, how do I get from Sydney to Melbourne? And let's say I said to you, the way to Melbourne is you take the M31 motorway. Just look for that, stick to the M31 motorway. Now, you might hear me say that, and you might think, well, he means it's the fastest way, or he means it's the most scenic way, or he means it's the one where you pay the fewest tolls, or something like that. But let's say that I then said to you, there's no other road to Melbourne apart from the M31. No one comes to Melbourne from Sydney apart from on the M31. Now you're thinking, I better find that road. That's the only way. It's not a great illustration because there's actually lots of ways from Sydney to Melbourne, but you, you get the point. Jesus doesn't just say, I'm the way, and leave you to maybe think, oh, he's saying he's the best way, or he's one of many ways, or he's the way for middle-class Western people, or he's the way for Jewish people from the first century. He says, I am the only way. There's no other way. Any other way, no matter how nice it might seem, no matter how much of a better person it might make you in this life, it means you are set against the truth and it will not bring you to God. 
And human nature being what it is, at this point, we have this tendency, don't we, to think, that sounds very exclusive. Why aren't there two ways? Why aren't there a hundred ways? Why can't each person find their own way that makes them happy and works for them? Instead of saying, praise God that there is a way. Shouldn't that, that be the cry of our heart? Praise God there is a way to him. We were utterly lost in our sin, but now God has provided a way for us to come to him. Jesus is that way. Jesus doesn't give us the option of treating him as a good teacher, one option among many. He says everything you're looking for, everything you need, is found in me and me alone. Give up the search, come to me, trust me. Now what kind of preacher would I be if I didn't pause to just ask you to think whether you've done that? whether you have actually come to Jesus in trust and know him as the way, the one who brings you to God, the one who is the way, the truth and the life. You may be really new to Christianity. You may have been coming to church your whole life. You may have been hearing stuff like this your whole life. It actually doesn't matter in terms of where you stand with God. It might surprise people here to know, but it doesn't matter what brings you to hearing these words from Jesus today, if you haven't come to him in trust, whatever else you've tried, wherever else you've looked, whatever's stopping you from taking that step, Jesus says those other things are dead ends. They will not give you what you're looking for or what you need. But if you come to him, no matter what you've done, no matter what's brought you to that point today, you can know with perfect assurance that he will bring you to God. He'll never turn you away. He'll never say, no, no room for you. He's gone to prepare a place for you and he wants you to receive that by trusting him. And then you can know that you've found the way and you've found the truth and you've found the life that you've been looking for. Come to him. Trust in him. Why can Jesus offer us all those things? Why is it true when he makes that offer? That's our third point, our third and final point. It's because of Jesus' connection with the Father. Jesus' connection with the Father. Last point, uh, very quickly. Uh, We're actually going to think on this some more next week as uh, in the second part of the chapter, Jesus starts speaking about the Spirit. So we'll look at the idea of the Trinity and the connection between Father, Son and Spirit. For now, let me just do nothing more than highlight the key verses that show this connection between the Father and the Son. Verse 7, Jesus says, If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. Verse 9, Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Verse 10 and 11, I'm in the Father and the Father is in me. See what Jesus is claiming? Again, he's claiming to be so much more than a teacher about God or a spiritual guru. He's claiming the deepest possible connection with the God of the universe. Not that the Father and the Son are identical. Uh, The Son still relies on the Father for everything he says and does, verse 10, but there is perfect unity of purpose. There is perfect sharing of divinity, the, the very nature of God, which allows Jesus to claim that you can trust him as much as you can trust God. It's reminiscent, again, of the introduction of 
the whole gospel. John 1 verse 18, John writes, No one has ever seen God, but the only God who was at the Father's side, he's made him known. John basically says, no one's ever seen God, but if you want to see God, look at Jesus. Lovely little paradox that he gives us there. And yet if that wasn't incredible enough, Jesus says something as we finish our section today that is maybe even more remarkable. Look with me again at what he closes with here. He says, I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Have you ever woken up in the morning and rubbed your eyes and looked in the mirror, looked at yourself and said, today I'm going to do greater works than the works that Jesus did? That's what Jesus says, isn't it? What could he be talking about? I think he has to be talking about declaring what he has done in providing a way to the Father. I won't go into all the ins and outs of why. I think the key is the word because in the reading there. He says, anyone who has faith in Jesus, that's me and hopefully you, us, for anyone who has faith in him, we will do greater things than anything Jesus had done up to that point because he's going away, he's going to the Father. That is, he's going to go away after he's accomplished everything that is needed for our salvation and he's going to leave us to proclaim the message that he is the way and the truth and the life, to encourage one another with that message and to share it with the world around us. See, the key moment in the timeline of salvation history is definitely when Jesus died and rose again for us. That's how he provides the way to the Father. Nothing more important than that will ever happen. But now that he's gone away, now is the time of salvation. Now is the time for the gospel to go out. Now is the time for people to see that Jesus is the Christ and that by believing that he is the Christ, they could have life in his name and find the way to God and find in him the truth and the life. And we do that, of course, we, we make that message known, of course, by prayer, by prayerfully relying on him, by praying in his name that God will glorify himself through us as we do these greater works, these works that even surpass what Jesus had done up to this point in declaring his saving works for us. Jesus accomplished it all. He accomplished everything needed for our salvation. He's the only one who could ever accomplish it because he is the way. He is the truth and he is the life. What a joy, what assurance we have, what joy in knowing that assurance by knowing Jesus as the way and the truth and the life. And what an incredible privilege to be part of that ongoing work of knowing Jesus and making him known to one another and to the world around us as we live on this side of his finished work for us of his death and resurrection. Let's pray. Gracious God, we praise you for our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. We praise you that we can trust in him even as we trust in you. We praise you that 
he has he is preparing a place for us even now that he will come back and take us to be with him we praise you that he is the way the truth and the life we praise you that we have the privilege of making that known to one another and to others as we wait for his return please encourage our hearts and fill us with joy and assurance as we think about these great realities we ask it in jesus name amen